Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Boss Podcast. My name's Kirk Bailey and if you've not heard the podcast before, let me tell you what we do. Every episode I reach into the archive of talks given at Business of Software conferences over the past decade and pull out some of the best talks we've welcomed to the Boss stage. These can be on a range of topics from exiting companies to sales processes, marketing do's and don'ts and much, much more. This week we touch on a hot topic. What can you do if you feel a customer does not align with your values? The Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. There are lots of reasons you might be uncomfortable with a customer using your product, from someone using it to harm others, through the possible public brand damage by association with a brand you consider incompatible with yours, to the signals you share with your employees about your culture and values. At the end of the day, it's up to you to decide. Our speaker this week is Nandini Jami, founder of Sleeping Giants and Check My Ads. In this talk, Nandini discusses some of the potential dangers organisations face in a world where news travels fast online. She shares some insider insight into why Hotjar publicly dropped the Trump campaign in GOP's account in August 2020, and the events which led to Hotjar deciding to disassociate themselves from such a high-profile and polarising customer. She also explores the role of acceptable use policies and steps you can take to ensure your company's values stand the test of time. It's an incredible case study on how one company approached a rethink of their strategy, approach and policies as well as manage a social media crisis. Happy listening. I am so excited to share my story with you today and a whole lot more. Um, So after the elections in 2016, I started to lead kind of a double life. Um, Back back then I was working as head of growth for a product company called ProdPad, which some of you may have heard of. And I was also secretly running a massively successful social media campaign dedicated to making Breitbart unprofitable. It was called Sleeping Giants. Um, Sleeping Giants started out as a crazy idea. Breitbart had become one of the most influential propaganda sites in the US during the elections. And I know we've all heard of them. They were putting out all those racist and hateful uh, fake news stories into the press and they're widely credited with helping uh, Trump win the presidency. So the thing is everyone knew that Breitbart was bad, but At Sleeping Giants, we were the first to make this connection that this website and all the racist content that, you know, was coming out in the news was actually being inadvertently funded by all of us through our programmatic advertising campaigns. So we started by just taking screenshots and pinging the advertisers on Twitter to let them know, did you know your ads are on this this, uh, website and ask them to consider blocking it from their media buyers. And we had no plan. It was, it was just, we're just doing this one by one. We didn't know what we're doing the next day. Um, and the whole thing was totally nuts. But it did end up working out for us because we were able to grow a community of several hundred thousand followers who joined us in taking these screenshots. And, and of course, we're all seeing different ads on, online based on our browsing behavior, who we are. So we were able to scale our efforts practically overnight. Um, Breitbart lost thousands of advertisers like this, (laughs) and uh, they lost 90% of their ad revenue within the first three months of our campaign. It was completely devastating for them. 
they had actually planned to expand into Germany and France after this victory here in the States. And they were planning a whole global fake news franchise. And after our campaign, they just had to cancel them. So we tend to think about the bad things happening in society as if they just happen. But the reality is right now, they're actually getting a lot of help from us along the way. For, for me, when we first started Sleeping Giants, brands understood immediately what their role was in Breitbart's growth story. You know, they didn't just say, oh, this is how programmatic advertising works. There's nothing we can do about it. They blocked that domain immediately. But what about the tech companies? They were a different story. Because as I found myself going deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole of extremism, I, I learned that there is an entire parallel economy of hate running on the same B2B and B2C software that we are using to build our businesses. Except they're obviously not building normal businesses. Their business goals, their KPIs are literally radicalizing people into white nationalism and beating people up on the streets and spreading disinformation. Like for example, the Proud Boys. Um, they're in the news a lot lately. Uh, they're a neo-fascist group that travels around the country to incite street violence, particularly these days against Black Lives Matter protesters. How, how do you think they get there? How do you think they recruit their new members? For the past few years, I've been working to get them kicked off of their payment processors, e-commerce platforms, email marketing software, and even their domain hosting services. Then there's Stefan Molyneux. He's a white nationalist and conspiracy theorist who promotes eugenics. He's radicalized multiple mass shooters. It still took me 10 months to get PayPal to ban his account. And it took me um, three rounds of documentation to get him kicked off of SoundCloud. And even then they were making excuses for him. Now, how about the Unite the Right rally from 2017? How do you think these guys raised money to get there and buy all those tiki torches? Venmo, Cash App, Twilio. And all these companies, I'm sorry to say that they waited until someone had to die to do something. This is just a small fraction of the tech companies that I've contacted over the past four years, and I still find myself hitting a wall. Because I know for a fact that if tech companies start to write their rules and enforce them, these guys will go bankrupt and they will go away. So even as these stories of hate and violence play out in our communities every day, um, tech CEOs throw their hands up at me and they say, you know, I really don't agree with them, but I also really don't wanna play God. I, I just feel like it's not up to me to make these decisions. And maybe that's how you feel. So I wanna ask you, have you ever really thought about what happens when you don't take any responsibility for who your customers are? When your only value is free speech? When you have absolutely no limits on who you do business with? So let's play out that scenario together. Back in 2017, during the Charlottesville rally, a white supremacist drove a car into a crowd and killed a protester named Heather Hare. Right after that, the Daily Stormer, a website run by neo-Nazi, a neo-Nazi named An Andrew Anglin, ran this headline. It was so vile and it was so repugnant that Google, um, which was hosting his website at the time, they dropped him immediately. And then he went to GoDaddy next and they suspended him too. 
And then he went to Cloudflare, which was actually a pretty good idea for him because the CEO of Cloudflare, Matthew Prince, is the last person on earth who would ever ban anybody. He's, he's always been very vocal about that. He's a free speech absolutist. He's not gonna ban anybody for any reason unless it's like super legal. Um, and even then, <laughs> he just feels like it's not his place. So he's stuck by the Daily Stormer. How do you think that went for him? Well, I'm gonna guess he faced an enormous and unimaginable amount of pressure from the public over the next few days. People, of course, didn't see him as some kind of a free speech hero. Instead, the headlines read, tech CEO sticking up for a neo-Nazi. At Sleeping Giants, we drummed up so much noise and we were not gonna let things go. And I can't imagine his investors are very happy. And I'm gonna guess that he cracked under the pressure because three days later, Matthew Prince, the last guy on earth who would ever ban anybody, banned the Daily Stormer. Why? Well, it's because he woke up in a bad mood that morning, he says. And this is a real quote, by the way. <laughs> so I have to ask, who's playing God now? Is this how the CEO of a major VC-backed web infrastructure company should be making critical business decisions based on how the CEO felt that morning? This isn't a free speech experiment for your like philosophy 101 course. This is a company, you're running a company and you have to make a plan that you can execute when a crisis like this hits. So this would have been a good time for Cloudflare to think about you know, what happened and maybe update their acceptable use policy and make some rules or something like that, but they didn't. And then in 2019, after three mass shooters posted their manifestos on a website forum called 8chan before going out to commit their mass murders, Cloudflare was back in the news again because 8chan is where these shooters were radicalized and 8chan is where their friends cheered them on. And 8chan was protected by Cloudflare. And of course, Matthew Prince, again, did the whole, you know, I really wish there was something I could do. If I had a magic wand, I would use it. Mm. And of course, no one bought that. The headlines again started flooding in. The pressure piled on again. And guess what happened one day later? Yeah, he banned A-chan. So what's going on here? Is this cancel culture? Am I out here trying to silence people I don't agree with? Are you being asked to play God? Or is the idea that you have no responsibility for who you do business with just because your business happens to scale? Is that a bit of a fantasy? Because there are definitely limits out there. And if you don't draw the line, the rest of society is gonna draw it for you. So if you're running a tech company, you might like to think that you're just the piping running through a house, that maybe you're some kind of a public utility. But that's not true. You're a business and you're answerable to your stakeholders, particularly today, because there's a, a real lack of governance in a lot of our countries. There's a lack of justice. We are not seeing consequences. And consequently, there's a breakdown of the guardrails that were once meant to keep us safe in society. So the only way that any of us as consumers are able to exert our influence as citizens is actually as consumers. 
using our social media accounts. I call this concept answerability because it's kind of like we as a society are holding up a mirror to you and your own values. And you, you better have an answer for us when we ask or you're gonna get in trouble. And I call it answerability because it's your ability to answer for what you enable in the world, what you monetize, what you distribute, and what you amplify. Those are the four things you need to be thinking about. Because there are real life consequences and, and risks. When you're, answer, when you're answerable, when you're good at answering that question, you strengthen your brand, you get yourself great PR, you win over real customer loyalty that can't be shaken. And when you're not, I mean, this is, uh, this is Cloudflare's own S1 filing. They, uh, they had to list their own unreliability and lack of consistency as an actual business risk. And when I saw that, the first thing I thought was, you know what they mean? What they mean is we've put our customers in a position where they can't trust us because we say one thing and do another um, under activist pressure. Um, and yeah, and I just wanted to add to that, that if you have values that you can't stick by, then what's the point of those values? So is there another way? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm really excited to share the story with you um, because A, it just happened. It just happened this past week and um, they almost went off the rails like Cloudflare, but they didn't and the story is going to end well for a lot of us. So um, last month I called attention to a company called Hotjar. They're a behavior analytics platform that I'm sure a lot of you know for claiming to be anti-racist and also providing services for the Trump campaign. And my question was, how can you be anti-racist if the Trump campaign is your customer? I mean, you want your clients to do well, don't you? So my tweet actually got a surprising amount of traction for B2B software drama. And um, one of my Twitter followers ended up writing an email to Hotjar and asked them to justify their stance. And they wrote him back and it was just a terrible email. They said they were, they were totally committed to anti-racism, but the Trump campaign is a political party and it doesn't technically count because it's Trump's merch store and the merch store isn't committing violence or inciting hatred, which it didn't make any sense because the Trump store sells MAGA hats and, 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 and they talked about uh, how they make donations to nonprofits and it was, it was a mess. You know, I encourage you to read the full letter. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a shit show and no one really bought it. And that just made things worse because you could see themselves twisting, it, twisting themselves into a pretzel to make this work for them. It's one thing to have trolls mad at you, but it's another to have your own tech community turn against you. And that's what they experienced that day and for the next few days. Um, there, was, there were people who were, um, in good faith making arguments that this was just not how you, this just doesn't make sense. You can't claim to be both. You can't use anti-racism for your marketing and then turn your back on that when it's not convenient for you. So let's just pause for a second. I, I, I want you to think about what you would have done if you were in this scenario at this point. Things have gone a little bit off the rails and uh, 
kind of stuck in a uh, between a rock and a hard place. Well, we are lucky today because I had a chance to speak with um, with David, the CEO of Hotjar, as well as Mohammed, the C Mohammed, the CTO, about what happened behind the scenes, and um, and I'm going to walk you through what they did for the first time. You're not going to hear this stuff anywhere else. Um, so it turns out behind the scenes, David and the team didn't feel good about that email that they sent to that to that Twitter user. Um, in fact, the customer support rep who wrote it um, said he felt really icky about it, didn't feel comfortable writing it, um, didn't believe in what he said. And they realized that they needed to have some kind of a plan because they weren't happy with how they handled the situation and they, um, they didn't want to go through that again. So in this case, and, and this is super rare, you don't see this very often, this initiative came from the top. David, the CEO, was all in. He's like, we need to figure something out. We need to have a plan from the very top. Um, and he was very clear from the beginning that this wasn't going to be a business decision, but a culture decision. This was something that he was doing for the, the well-being, the long-term well-being of the company. So they all sat down and they thought about, you know, what they actually wanted. They started with the outcome. And they realized what they want to be able to do um, and like what they wanted to uh, say in the future when someone asked this question. They wanted to say, they wanted to be able to like point and say, that person is doing harm, we don't wanna work with them. And they also, um, and they wanted to say that even if they weren't directly using Hotjar to do the harmful thing, a lot of tech companies do tend to draw the line only if the harm is taking place on their platform itself. And that's kind of what keeps things moving so slowly in the activist world. So anyway, they were like, okay, this is, we know what we want. And we, we know that we don't want to work with anyone um, promoting hate. And we know we don't want to work with anyone who promotes people who promote hate. So that ended up becoming their, their policy. That was a policy that they wanted to put in place. And that's the latitude that they wanted to have for their company. That's what they felt was right for them. And of course, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big latitude. So the next question becomes, okay, how do we prove that? We obviously can't just go around banning people we don't agree with, like a god, or people are going to stop trusting us. So they decided to adopt a review method that, uh, that Patreon uses called Manifest Observable Behavior to enforce their acceptable use policy. They came up with this method because um, over at Patreon because white nationalists kept using Patreon to raise money to do really bad things like driving a boat around the Mediterranean to block refugee rescue attempts, like really bad stuff. And then they would come back and say, oh, I was just kidding. It was just a joke. I didn't mean it. And they, Patreon was just in a, in a difficult place. They couldn't like enforce their policies. So the CEO came up with this, um, this method using what has video, what video has captured, what audio has recorded, and what the person's intent was based on their own writing and their own interviews with the media. And he said, I am going to use that as, um, as, a, as tangible evidence as I make a decision of whether we should keep working with this user or not. And that's what we're going to go with. So once they had that review method in place, they needed to get an internal buy-in. The whole time they had been soliciting opinions from the team, they opened up a discourse um, or they opened up 
a, a dialogue in an app called Discourse. Um, and, and they wanted to be able to get people's opinions and service new angles and, you know, what have we not thought about. And once they had that information, they got, they needed to go back to the team and get buy-in from them on the decision that they'd come up with. So they came back with a presentation, they went in depth, they shared um, their methodology, how they thought through their new acceptable use policy. Um, they showed evidence of all the things that Trump has said, that Trump has done. And they said, you know, to us, this is pretty clear evidence that this individual is inciting violence. So that to us is grounds to ban him. And then the GOP is not only promoting that behavior, but they are enabling it through Trump. So we are banning them too. And at first, not everyone agreed with it, but once they saw a list of the evidence, once they saw the process that they went through, they felt that at the very least it was fair. So once they had all that squared away, they went, they went ahead and formally announced their decision to the public. This made them the first software company to openly drop the Trump campaign. And they wrote one of the most incredible statements I have ever seen. I encourage you to go uh, check it out. They, uh, in, this, in this statement, they walk through their process. They outline their mission and their company values. And as you're going through this post, they tie everything that they're telling you back to their mission and back to their company values. And in this blog post, they also make a commitment to transparency where they say, we're not going to be perfect. We're not virtue signaling. This is a starting point for a much deeper discussion and we will continue to revisit, um, revisit and improve our processes. This is just where we start. And to me, as someone who's been working on this stuff for a while, it was, uh, it was incredible to see this. It's, it's totally uncharted territory. Um, no one's ever done this before and they had very little to go by. And um, on a personal level, I really admire what they did. It took a lot of guts. And um, let's look at how this went for them. I watched their Twitter very closely. I monitored what people were saying about Hotjar. Um, what, I've, what I observed is that their community really showed up for them. Um, Rand, Rand Fishkin from uh, SparkToro, he had been very vocal initially about Hotjar working with, with Trump. He came back and, um, and just gave him a lot of love on Twitter. Their employees, I, I saw that their employees had written about them as well, saying, I'm so proud to be working at a company that follows its values. Um, and I didn't see any backlash at all. I, to be honest, expected to see Breitbart write a story about cancel culture or whatever. Um, it didn't happen. And I think, it's, I think it's because the statement that they made is so powerful that you can't really mess with it. Like there's not a whole lot you can say. So, I mean, with the combination of your community sticking up for you and the power of, of the way that you communicated it, it, it just put them in a really, really good place. The only backlash I saw that wasn't from a troll was, uh, was a message like this. And, um, and someone said, you know, how do I know I'm gonna be able to trust you with, with my clients? And David came back and was like, you, like, you don't have a problem as long as you are following as, you, as long as you're not violating this acceptable use policy, it's linked here, click and read for yourself. So I think that's extremely fair in my opinion. So that is why I feel like people who cry about cancel culture are just being lazy. It's, 
totally your right to set your rules as a business. It's, it's your responsibility. You have to be thinking first and foremost about your employees, your customers and your community. And that's really what, that's really what you're supposed to do as a tech CEO. You're not, you're not God and you're not the president, you're not the government. So look at our culture of answerability and use it as an opportunity to assert your values, um, to kick bad actors off your platforms, to reallocate your resources if you're sending them out to, if you're advertising on, you know, on bad places, think about how you can reallocate it towards um, more constructive media and to build a long-term brand, have that sort of long-term vision in mind of what you want to really be and what you want to stand for over time. After working every day on these issues for four years, I'm not just an activist anymore. I'm actually working with brands and tech companies to help them write their rules for this age of answerability. I'm working with tech companies to rewrite their acceptable use policies. For brands, we're helping them keep their ads away from bad faith actors, bad faith publishers, um, and you know, define what that means to them so that they can keep their brand safe online. It's, it really comes down to if you don't like what's going on out there, you, you just don't have to be a part of it. It's really that simple. Um, yesterday, we published an in-depth interview with Hotjar's CTO about their behind the scenes. There's a lot of really amazing uh, quotes in there that I didn't get to here on this presentation. Um, and it's really, it's just a fascinating read. You don't often hear tech leaders talk about their um, their role in this way, and I just really admire how they how they did this. And I hope you take a moment to um, to check them out and see what they said. Thank you so much for having me.